This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. For the 23-24 season, the West Ham Way is sponsored by Green King Sport, where football is more than a game. Green King Sports venues are showing every televised West Ham fixture over the course of the season. So instead of turning to the internet for a dodgy stream, get your mates together and get down to your local Green King pub and get closer to the action. This season, Green King have launched the Green King Sport Instagram page, which will be home to fan content, deals and competitions throughout the season. They've already given away Champions League final tickets and signed shirts, so you don't want to miss out. Drop them a follow on Instagram and you won't just be the first to know about all this, you'll be helping out the West Ham way. Listen to the West Ham Way podcast with Dave and X. Oi, oi! Hello and welcome to the West Ham Way podcast with myself, Dave Walker, and XWHU employee. In the absence of Premier League football, we have a chat with Australian West Ham Academy graduate Richard Garcia before getting news from X and answering questions from patrons of the West Ham Way. Richard, it's a pleasure to have you with us, mate. How are you doing? Very, very well. Thanks for having me on, fellas. No, mate, it's an absolute pleasure. Well, Rich, as an Australian, you were playing football in Australia. How did you end up signing for West Ham? Uh, yeah, look, I, I was a decent junior at the time and um, my brother was uh, actually in like the uh, the young Socceroos, which is like the under-17s and... Um, there was an agent over here um, who used to take players to the UK quite often. Um, and he wanted to take my brother. Uh, and my brother said, look, I'm going to be down um, watching my, my little brother play. Um, so come, come watch and we'll have a chat there. So once he watched the game, he, he sort of, um, 
he sort of made his mind up there and then to to take us both over. So um, that's how I ended up uh, getting a chance to, to to go to the UK and play. Well, your family must have been so proud at the time. Uh, yeah, I think it was a balance for the for my parents, you know, uh, between um, pride and um, and nervousness. You know, I was yeah. fifteen years old, so let it, letting me go halfway around the world um, by myself um, was a, was a bit of a a, a very big trusting for them, um, and you know, I'm, I'm lucky lucky enough that they let me go um, mm. because otherwise I wouldn't have been able to have my career. And um, so, yeah, I think for them it was mixed emotions, but for me, I was you know, I was I was buzzing to get over there and and, and get playing with. Um, I suppose you know, in my head, the best of the best. Mm. How old were you when that happened? Fifteen. So oh, fifteen wow. years old. Jeez, yep. that is young to go and move all the way, like you said, halfway around the world at that age. It is a yeah, big thing. Did your did your brother make it? Uh, no. So my brother got injured, didn't end up going overseas, um, oh. and then played locally for a while. And then uh, his injuries didn't get any better, and he and he continued to break down. So he ended up having to to call it quits at around twenty six or something like that. Um, but yeah, never never really sort of got back to his his good form. So mm. um, he ended up staying home and, and, and playing in Australia and, and Singapore and places like that. And, um, yeah, I, I was lucky enough to go over and get my foot in the door nice and early in the UK. Yeah, and that's a massive thing at 15. I mean, as you mentioned, a, a number of Australians had been in um, England and particularly West Ham before you, Stan Lazaridis, Robbie Slater, Steve Maltone. And when you arrived, there was a number of others in the academy, such as Michael Ferrante, Chris Coyne and Steve Laurie. How helpful was it for you to have fellow countrymen at the club so far from home? And, and how hard was it to settle at that age of 15? Um, look, I think I was a little bit, maybe not naive, but, you know, I was a bit starry eyed. So, um, settling in, you know, there were, there were times where it was, it was tough. You know, I think the tough times came when, you know, I, I wasn't playing so well or injury came, you know, that was really tough because, you know, I didn't have a real big support network in the UK. You know, I used to always see, um, guys that were from the UK, from different parts of the UK and their parents would come down um, and they would get to speak about the game. And, um, you know, it's, it's not like these days where everything can be, can, can be seen on the internet, you know, back in the day, you know, my parents couldn't see how, how I was playing, what I was doing, what I was going through. So I think the hardest times were really uh, the times when things weren't going so well um, that you really needed to be sort of, you know, uh, rely on, you know, your friends around, you know, and that's where sometimes the Aussies sort of would lean on each other and the guys that weren't um, living at home sort of lent on each other because of that, um, just because you needed that support network. But, yeah, look, at, at 15 years old, you just sort of, I was so raring to go and so excited at the opportunity to be playing in the UK that, um, you know, I, I think all the other things became secondary to me. So, um, yeah, a lot of, a lot of um, excitement and, and, and happiness came from, from me being there. Mm. Well, one friendship that you did strike up was with a certain Michael Carrick. How close were you and, and are you still in touch now? Yeah, I spoke to Mike the other day. Um, you know, he obviously he's, uh, he's, he's going through a, a little bit of a rough patch start at the start of the season um, with Middlesbrough. Um, so just caught up with him and just sort of, you know, have a chat about um, coaching and football and how he's going. So, um, no, but we, we struck up a really nice relationship. Um, you know, we live next door to each other at Diggs. Um, so, 
you know, we used to travel in and out of, into training and, and, and out and back out uh, together, um, along with, you know, the likes of Anthony Hudson. Uh, Grant McCann was also in those digs as well. Um, but Mike and I just hit it off straight away, I think, because, um, you know, when, when you're on the, on the training pitch and you combine well with somebody, um, you know, it tends to make us a little bit closer. So we always would combine pretty well and um, understood each other when we played. So, um, yeah, and then on top of the, f- the fact that we were living uh, next door um, made it even better. So we've kept our relationship pretty strong throughout the years and, um, yeah, we continue to do so um, even now that we're, you know, h- halfway across the world. Mm, that's good to hear. And it was a great academy side that you played in. Obviously, Carrick, a standout player, but there was also Joe Cole, Jermaine Defoe. Did, did, did that at that age, could you tell they would all go on to be, you know, the England internationals, the, you know, they won the, all, they won the Champions League um, in their careers, some of them, they, they, you know, top, top players. What, could you tell at that age that was their destiny? Uh, look, I think, I think it's a real tough one. I think. You know, there were so many talented guys, not only at West Ham, but throughout the league. Um, and I think I think time sort of told on those guys as far as mentality was concerned because, you know, I, I'm, I'm one of those people now that I look back at, at, at all the players that were in that league and, and the guys that actually went that step further and that did better because the talent at some point um, was very, very similar. It was the guys that were more dedicated, the guys who had the mentality to to really um, fine-tune their craft that actually kicked on. And, you know, that's something that those guys showed as they got older. They even uh, became more dedicated and, and, and wanted to um, fine-tune their craft even more, you know. And I think um, at that young level, we can go either way for players. And, and those guys really sort of, you know, stuck to their guns and had the mental strength to actually keep keep pushing towards their goal, you know. Yeah, yeah, 100%, mate. Well, as X said, it was an incredible academy side. Were there any other players that you felt should have made it to the top but didn't? Um, look, I think I think it was such a good team that... But again, like I said before, you know, it's one of those where, you know, you, you sort of... You sort of see players at that age, and and you know there's some good, very good players that really stand out. Um, but then it just gets harder and harder, you know. And that and that's something that um, that was the best thing about West Ham. You know, they always would tell us is that um, the coaching from from Tony Carr and Peter Braybrook wasn't just about football. It was also about you know the likelihood of you guys kicking on and actually becoming footballers. And and I think everybody sort of knew that it just got harder from the youth team onwards. Um, but yeah, look, there's a load of guys that sort of, you know, had a, had a foot in the door and played sort of lower leagues, but never really then kicked on and or you know had the had the mental strength or or or, or, or really the luck sometimes because football sometimes is a little bit of luck as well. Um, and you know they didn't really kick on, but you know I think you could have you could have you know seen there could have been pretty much every player in that in that group could have possibly had a career in the game. Um, but yeah, that, that's you know that's football, I suppose, and that's something that um, is probably the, the stark reality of it. That when you look at and, and I think we were like a, a very successful youth team. When you look at the odds, um, there's probably only one or two that sort of might crack it um, in every youth team, and we were lucky enough to sort of you know had two or three, you know. Mm. Well, you talked about how good that youth team was. I mean, you you yourself scored in every round of the FA Youth Cup, which we famously won in 1998-1999. What memories do you have of that tournament? Because that, that was a real success, that, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, you know, just just unbelievable. I think, you know, we, we had such a great team 
team spirit and, um, you know, obviously we had the talent as well. Um, and, you know, me me being a striker at that age, um, you know, was 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 something that, you know, I love to do. I love to score goals. Um, it was only sort of, you know, once I got a little bit older that I got sort of moved around and then became a midfielder and a winger. So, um, but at that stage, I was really loving scoring goals and I had great service, you know, from the likes of Michael Carey, Joe Cole, Michael Ferranti. Um, out wide, you had Adam Newton, uh, Sean Byrne. Um, so, you know, we, we had a, a really strong uh, group there that, that would provide service. So for me to score goals was 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 just about finishing the, the chances that they give to me. So, um, yeah, I, I loved I loved every minute of it, and it still holds a, a real big part in my heart. You mentioned Tony Carr earlier. Just how important was he to your development? Uh, he was very he was very important. Um, I think he was important to all those guys in that group, um, and I'm sure throughout those generations. Uh, I think the, the the biggest point for him was that. Uh, it just wasn't about developing the footballer, even though that was the massive, massive part of it. And that's ultimately what he was judged on. He was also trying to, um, he was also trying to develop the, the, the person as well to a certain extent. And, you know, th- that for me was, was a big one, you know, the, the mentality it took and, and that side of it that they, they taught um, day in, day out. And it wasn't anything, you know, um, too scientific. It was just, being able to draw on his experience of other other players and what had happened to other players and tell and share those stories to us as a group that, you know, helped probably a lot of us, you know, kick on and, and actually have careers in the game. So, um, you know, I think that's sort of something that a lot of people have probably put to the side about Tony is that he was, he was good at developing uh, people as well as just players. Mm, important. Definitely. I mean, you, you then had a loan spell at Leighton Orient to get uh, your sort of debut in English football. How good an experience was that for you going going to them? Yeah, it was great. It was really, really good. Um, and then probably about three months into it, uh, got into a bad challenge and did my cruciate. So it was a very, very good. And at the same time, you know, it was probably like one of the low points of my my early career, you know, um, having having a challenge and doing your cruciate at such a young age. Um which was which was really hard for me to take, but yeah, it was it was great to go out because I was going I was out scoring goals. I was in a men's environment. I was playing every week, which was important, um, and I enjoyed being there with those guys, you know. But um, yeah, after three months doing cruciate um, was probably a real big setback for me. Yeah, and ironically, you got that injury when you was playing against Cheltenham, and the tackle was from another West Ham loanee, Grant McCann. Uh, did you ever fully recover from that? In hindsight, um. Yeah, look, I don't, I, I, I'm sure I did um, to a certain extent, but it, it probably took certain bits away from my game that um, I had beforehand. Uh, you know, if, if I look back now at, at all the problems I've had with my knees over over the time now, it stemmed from that first that first cruciate, you know. So um, throughout my career, I've done three cruciates, um, had countless amounts of, uh, you know, um, clear-outs for, for, for meniscus. So... You know, and now I'm a sore, a sore old man. <laughs> so wow. uh, every, everything from that challenge and everything from that um, uh, from that incident was probably just always an uphill battle after that. So um, yeah, you know, even even the first cruciate operation I had, you know, they were, I'm pretty sure maybe it was only a year or two beforehand. Julian Dix had had his whole leg 
uh, opened up, and you know, so cruciate operations were 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 still developing, and you know, they they're not the quality that they had um, or they have in these days. So, you know, I know definitely from my first cruciate operation to my last cruciate operation at at twenty nine or whatever it was that um, things had advanced so much so much uh, further in that in that short amount of time. So I think it did leave a little bit of uh, something in me that that probably didn't get me back to to where I was just before it. Mm, well, well, almost, well, 22 years and a day to the day you made your debut for West Ham, a very strange day, September the 11th, 2001, and we all know what what was going on in the world in that on that day, but you, it was a very, obviously, very surreal game to be involved in. We played, we played Reading in the Cup, it went to penalties, we lost on penalties, but obviously the world was uh, in a different state than it was the day before. What, what, what do you remember about that occasion and, and the, the whole... The feelings around the game, and you know, you had the the joy of making your debut for West Ham, but then obviously you had the going out on penalties and what was going on in the world at the same time. It must have been a strange experience. Yeah, it, it was. It was actually really surreal. You know, you know, you sort of. Um, I remember we, we went and stayed uh, at a hotel uh, near Reading, and you know, you have your pre match, and you go up to your rooms and have a little rest and a lay down. You know, and, and we sort of fallen asleep for a little bit. I was rooming with Michael uh, Carrick, so. Um, we sort of had a little nap and then all of a sudden I get a nudge. He goes, mate, have a look at this. And, you know, you're sort of waking up to the to the second plane hitting and then, you know, all the other games are getting cancelled and, and our game's still going on. So, you know, it was one of those that, um, you know, I, I even remember straight after the game, we went home and we were, we were glued to the TVs, you know, just having a look at what was going on afterwards. So, you know, as much as it was like a memorable, memorable day to to make a debut, it was, it was uh, yeah, pretty surreal uh, because I didn't the the amount of focus and that was was um, was split, if that makes any sense. So um, mm. yeah, but it was it's it's an easy one to remember for me though uh, when I made my debut. So it's it's an easy one for when I get grey and old. <laughs> Excellent. Well, during that time, Paolo Di Canio was around. What was he like with the younger players, and what was he like to play alongside? Uh, he was he was fantastic, you know. Uh, I mean, he he really did um, show uh, some some brilliant bits at training and and what what a professional he was. You know, he always worked hard um, and he always put it in at training. Um, you know, he obviously he had his um, his flamboyancy and his and his uh, sometimes his temper tantrums. Um, but you know, as far as uh, quality, it, it was amazing to. To, to play and train with him and and actually sort of see him up close and you know he he just didn't well us younger players he welled a lot of the players that were that were playing with him so he, he was so gifted and um you know I think he West Ham got him at the right stage of his career as well you know he was he was probably in his prime at that at that point um so he was fantastic and he was very giving to the younger guys but I've got to say you know we we had a lot of giving guys in that in that first team um I think throughout my career at West Ham, and I think that's something that um, has probably held uh, a really big, big uh, part for me, a big part in my heart is that those guys were so giving with their time. You know, um, a lot of those first team players, Ian Pierce, um, Trevor Sinclair, um, even when Ian Wright was there, uh, Paolo. You know, they were all very, very good with the younger players, and always gave us um, not only tips but 
you know, advice uh, in, in career and all that sort of stuff. You know, we had such a good culture there as far as um, bringing through the young players that I think the the senior players felt that sense of responsibility to try and bring that next generation through. So for us, we had a fantastic environment to grow up in. I've, I've got to ask you, Rich, just quickly, going back to Paolo Di Canio, he is obviously a, a larger-than-life character, very passionate, wears his art on his sleeve. And a couple of conversations that we've had with ex-players during that time said that at times he would undermine the manager in the dressing room. Did you witness that at all? Um, yeah, yeah. Look, it was one of those that when you're young, you sort of think it's Paolo being Paolo, and you were sort of like thinking, well, should he be saying that? Um but you know, I think the manager always, always dealt with it um, pretty well. Um, especially Harry, I think Harry knew how to handle Paolo, and, and that's probably why he got the best out of him. Um, and I think he probably let Paolo get away with certain things that uh, not every player would be allowed to get away with. Um, but I think to a certain extent, uh, I think players half understood it, you know, and that sometimes would would be a, a little bit of a sticking point uh, amongst the playing group. Um, but again, then Paolo would produce the goods, and it was almost like, well, you know, uh, you got the best, you, you got the best out of him. So uh, people didn't really know, didn't really want to f- even playing field because he he wasn't playing on the same pitch. If that makes any sense. Picture the scene: all of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order mug delivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Mm-hmm. Well, it was actually Glenn Roder that gave you your debut in, in that game against Reading. Now, it's actually said that he struggled a bit with Paolo. Um, uh, did, what did, how did you see Glenn as a manager? Because obviously that first season, you know, we did well. I think we finished seventh, was it, in the league? It was a good season. Then obviously the next season, we went down. Uh, what's your opinions on Glenn as, as a manager? And obviously, God rest his soul, he's no longer, no longer with us. But at the time, what did you think to him? Um, look, I think he, he took a, I won't say a, 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 a poison chalice. I just think it's hard for play, uh, for coaches that um, have already been at the club to then get promoted. Um, you know, he was on a, on a very friendly basis with a lot of the players. Um, and then to go and put his foot down as the boss, uh, I think that's probably where he struggled a little bit and players still saw him as Glenn Roder, the, you know, the reserve team coach, if that made it, makes any sense. So him, him trying to then put in a different personality or a different uh, set of rules when, you know, Glenn was always the, the, uh, the voice of reason and, and maybe a, 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 an ear to bend for a lot of players, um, then to take that role on, it, 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 I think it's a difficult task. I think it's a difficult task for anybody to then go from that that role into the the, the head role uh, full time. So, look, I think the players didn't quite see him as as, as the manager um, that he probably could have been because I think Glenn is a, a fantastic development coach and he, and he did really well with a lot of our, our, us younger players. Um, you know, I know he worked a lot with Jermaine Defoe, Michael Carrick. Uh, even Joe took to quite a bit with a lot of individual stuff um, and helped those guys on their way. Um, but yeah, just that it's, I think it's a different thing from being a coach to being an actual manager, which that becomes then, uh, especially when you, you, you've known the players as well as Glenn has in a different role, it becomes difficult. Mm. Well, Rich, there was another Australian in the squad at the time, Hayden Fox. What do you remember about him? And do you remember the Christmas party incident? 
I do, I do remember the Christmas party incident. Um, you know, uh, I'm, I'm sure it was well documented at the time. You know, out 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 in the town and um, just relieving himself at the bar, and you know, there was actually no one. There was actually no one in the bar, so um, it, it, it really stood out. <laughs> <laughs> more ways than one. Yeah. yeah, definitely. So, but that, but that was Foxy at the time. You know, Foxy was a, a bit of a, a bit of a loose cannon. Um, loved to enjoy himself. Loved to, loved to have a good time. And you know, he he was always getting up to shenanigans. Um, whether it was at the training ground or or in in the party scene, he he was always enjoying himself. <laughs> well, before before Road, I mean, you touched on it before. It was Harry Redknapp. Um, how did their styles of management differ? Uh, and you know who you know who was better with the younger players? I mean, you've already sung Glenn's praises there, but was there main differences between the two of them? Yeah, I, I think Harry Harry did a lot of the the management stuff really well. You know, he like like I said before, he, he managed people like Paolo well. Um, and 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 understood how to get the best out of certain players um and who needed what um as far as um not so much training um because you know Frank senior took a lot of it with with Roger Cross um uh, and Glenn helped out as well uh, so it was it was more about you know selection and, and and understanding who was the best fit for the for the team we were playing against and and managing players in that in that regard um so I think that's where where Harry was very good at at getting the best out of certain players, um, and and that was probably proof in 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 the players that some of the players that he brought in that he made into to good players, and they went on and they were sort of okay, but not as good as they were at West Ham. So um, that's you know that's something that's something that Harry had in abundance. Um, whereas Glenn was fantastic on the on the pitch on the grass, he was fantastic at coaching and instructing and and guiding players into to becoming better players. So. That was probably the biggest difference in the two of them. Mm, I can see that. Well, you didn't feature at all in West Ham's relegation season, apart from two sub-appearances right at the end under Trevor Brookin. Firstly, why was that? And secondly, why did the team struggle so much, in your opinion? Uh, look, I think it's a, it's, it's a hard one um, to, to, one, be relegated um, and then have players leave and then it becomes a mixed side um, because, you know, we, the club tried to hold on to players, um, didn't really hold on to a load of players. Um, players have a different attitude when they go down as well. Um, you know, I, I know that I know that from not only going down with West Ham, but then going down with Hull as well. You know, players have a, a different attitude towards the, the championship um, and, you know, that can have an effect on the whole group. Um but then I think also, you know, look, it's one of those things that there's always a, a bit of change um, and people think that you're going to automatically bounce back up. But the championship's a hard league. Um, it's a hard league to not only get out of, but um, to bounce back up is even harder. Uh, so, yeah, I think expectations uh, to, to, to be able to, to bounce back up was, was, a, was a pretty tough one. Yeah, no, like you said, it's always hard when the big teams go down because there's a, every time a championship side plays at West Ham, it's like their cup final, isn't it? Because they want to they take the bigger teams and that's always a challenge. I mean, one one player that did stay on for an extra year with you was um, 
Michael Carrick, obviously Joe Cole left, Glenn Johnson left, and lots of the players from that team left. But Michael actually stuck around for a, a year when he probably could have moved with them as well. Do you remember his thought process and why he decided to stay for that extra year at West Ham? Look, I think it was, you know, the, 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 the year before he'd picked up quite a few appearances, um, but I, I think it was more to play football. You know, I think his, his options at that time were... Um, to either move somewhere else that he might not have played as much football. And I think he felt that he needed to be playing uh, football week in, week out to be able to prove himself even more. Um, and I think he he really did that. You know, I think he really grew that season um, and he grew in confidence uh, and he grew in stature because he had a a, a more of a, uh, I won't say a starring role, but uh, he had more of a, a responsibility within within the group. So with that you know, he became a more mature player um, and, you know, really, really then kicked on. So uh, I think, you know, really worked out for him and, and it actually was a, a really clever, clever decision to make to be able to, you know, play his football at West Ham and, and, and you know, try and help the club uh, bounce straight back up. Um, uh, but it did him well as far as his career as well. Yeah. Well, Trevor Brookin was the manager after Rhoda's sacking. How much did the players hope that he'd keep his job? Uh, look, I think Trev, Trev, obviously, he's a legend of the club. And, um, you know, I don't think he probably had enough enough of a run at it. Um, and, and again, he had, um, you know, good traits as a, as a, as a manager. Um, but, yeah, I think at that stage, I think it was a, it was a, it was a tough ship to get, to get going again. Um, and, and look, I think at that stage, um, you know, Trev did, did okay. Um, but I, I think, you know, the club was always heading in a different direction from Trev anyway, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Well, that, that that new direction was Alan Pardew. And in his first season, he got us to a playoff final. Um, how do you remember the, the build-up to that final? And what was it like to be in and around the squad as they were making their way to that crucial game? Uh, look, I, I think I spent that that pretty much that whole year um, injured. So, you know, I spent a, a bit of that time back in Australia. Um, so I, I wasn't really around that much uh, for that year. Uh, so it was it was a bit of a bit of a tough one for me. Um, so yeah, look, I, I think uh, Pards's uh, entry into the club uh, was was probably uh, a blessing in disguise for me as well because you know he sort of really really let me know where I stood um, and you know my, that my time would be sort of you know not guaranteed that it'd be limited. Um, so you know that that really then um, got me to the point where I needed to move on and um, that that's where. That's where really I started playing a little bit more and I come back from injury and yeah, my, my career kicked on from there. So, um, yeah, there, there was a, there was a turning point in my career as well. But, you know, that again, from that first injury, I got a second injury just before Pards got there or around the same time as Pards got there. Um, so yeah, that, that's, that's why I wasn't around much for that, for that season. Mm, yeah, it's tough, really tough. How hard did the players take that loss, Rich? Um, I think I think like everyone that goes through that, it's never easy. I think it's it's a it's a real tough one. Um, you know, you, you can never you can never underestimate how hard it is getting to a final um, and then getting to that final hurdle and and just falling short. Um, and it can have a real effect on the squad. Um, but 
look, you know, that, that's that's why um, that's why it's such an exciting part of the season in the UK, which is the playoffs. And um, you know, to, to win one is fantastic, um, but to lose one, I can only imagine it can be uh, uh, soul crushing. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you, as you mentioned there, you eventually ended up leaving the squad and you, you, um, signed for Colchester. How, how sad were you to leave West Ham? And did you have any other options other than Colchester or were they always the one that you felt was the right choice for you? Uh, look, I did have other options, but, um, it was more the fact that, uh, you know, once I came back from injury the year after, um, you know, I, I had a good pre-season and, and uh, Pardew actually wanted me to stick around. Um, and because he, because he, uh, because he didn't guarantee me playing time, uh, you know, I got some good advice from my agent to say, you know, you need to go out and play more football. You can't be on the bench, you know, all year again. Um, what was I? I think I was 23, possibly about 23, um, if memory serves. And, you know, Pards was good friends with, um, with Phil Parkinson, so that and he was he was the manager at, at Colchester, um, and then that conversation with Phil Parkinson, you know, made Colchester the place for me to go. Um, it, it was pretty local as well. By that time, um, my my then girlfriend had moved over, and we were pretty settled uh, in East London. So going to Colchester was wasn't too hard. Um, whereas you know, if I'd moved somewhere else, we would have had to uproot again. Uh, so look. It, Colchester was just the right fit at the right time. And, you know, that, that was, again, through through Alan Pardew and the conversations I had with him. And, and lucky enough, he he had a friend in Phil Parkinson. Mm. Well, after Colchester, you went to Hull and you played in that, that game at Man City the season after Phil Brown had decided to do his halftime team talk on the pitch. And Jimmy Bullard famously celebrated that by copying the speech. Was that pre-planned? And would you have had to have done it if you'd scored? Uh, yeah, look, we'd spoken about it beforehand, uh, <laughs> but we were joking around, but Jim being Jim, um, you know, he, he was the one to pull it off. And, uh, you know, I don't think, I don't think it would have turned out the same if it, if it wasn't anybody but Jimmy Bullard, um, you know, ever, 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 ever the joker, um, you know, you know, knowing him from West Ham days and, and him being quite the character, um, you know, all the way back then, you know, he, he, he definitely carried that on, uh, when he came to Hull and, yeah, look, I think I think in the end, I think uh, you know, manager just had to take it in the end because it, it wasn't actually a great celebration and it was a good result. So the manager was pleased all around. <laughs> that's quite quite an iconic Premier League moment. That that celebration actually, you see, it's one of those things you see over and over again. So uh, yeah, they like you say, I think it was fitting that Jimmy scored that goal. Really, of all of all the people, um, well, we got a lot of Australian um, listeners to the show. Obviously, we did an event with you in um, Perth this summer as well, so you know how passionate um, Australian West Ham fans are. But let's talk about the national team. Obviously, you in your career, you did play further Socceroos, and you played in the World Cup in. Um, what was it? South Africa, wasn't it? 2010. What was that whole experience like, and how much of an honour was it to be involved with the national team? Uh, yeah, look, it was it was amazing. You know, that's something that you know I think everybody uh, as a young footballer wants to do is is represent your country, and and to do it in the world stage is even even a bigger honour. So, look, I, I I sort of you know had had bits and pieces where I was in and out the squad. Uh, for the national team, you know, I was on standby for the for the game uh, at Upton Park, which I was hoping to sort of, you know, sneak into that squad where where Australia beat England. So, um, you know, 
that was the one that I really wanted to be a part of. And, and slowly, slowly, once I went um, and got a bit older and, and, and played a few more games, you know, people really stood up and, and paid attention. And, yeah, to, to go to the World Cup was amazing, you know, to be able to go and sing the national anthem, um, put on the green and gold and, and really go hard for the, for the country is, uh, is fantastic. Knowing everybody back home is watching you, you know, you feel a real sense of pride. Um, and, and, you know, it's something that I'll never forget. Yeah, neither should you, mate. Well, you went back to Australia and uh, I've just finished managing Perth Glory. Do you hope to get back into management? Is that the future for you now, Rich? Uh, yeah, look, at the moment, um, it's it's still sort of up in the air. I'm enjoying it. I'm, I'm enjoying uh, having the time off. Uh, you know, I, I took over in, in the COVID period and you guys probably didn't have the same uh, amount of restrictions. Well, look, we had a pretty much a free, free um, WA, but the border restrictions here was pretty tough. So, you know, we were, we were away for sort of, you know, uh, four to five months at a time and, um, you know, really had it tough on the road. We played all our games away um, for pretty much two seasons. So um, it was, it was pretty tough to, to lead a group of um, not only players, but staff, staff members through, through that tricky, tricky period, um, mm. especially being away from their loved ones, which was, mm. was which was really hard. Um so look, I'm enjoying having my life back a little bit. I'm enjoying uh, spending time with the kids and 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 the wife. Um, I don't know if the wife enjoys having me around so much, but you know, <laughs> but she's starting to get used to it. Uh, no, but look, I, I've still got ambition to to get back into football um, and to coach. You know, I think I've got a lot to give. Um, I've been around the block. I've got um, a lot of a lot of yards under my belt that um, and a lot of things in my head that I can pass on to. To the next generation of, of of players, so you know I'll have my break and then and then start to look to get back into it um, in the in in the coming years. Would you ever consider coming back to England? You know, well, say Michael Carrick offered you a position, or or you got a position yourself at one of your former clubs. Would that be something you considered, or you you know, with the kids and the, the wife settled in Australia now? Look, I, I, look, I think that's probably the 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 place that would probably convince my wife to leave Australia again. So, you know, after spending, after spending 11 years or whatever she did there, um, I think that's probably the only place I could convince her to go back to. So, you know, ha- having to move to another country, you know, like in Asia or, you know, even the States would be sort of something that my wife probably wouldn't be too keen on. Um, and the kids are sort of going through schooling at the moment, um, you know, in their older years. So pretty important years. Um, but that's probably the one place that football um, really takes precedent as well. So to, to go back to, to the UK and coach there would be an absolute dream and, and possibly the ultimate goal for me is to, to go back and, and coach and spend more time back in the UK. Mm, fantastic. So never say never. Uh, well, Rich, it's been lovely speaking to you, mate. It really has. Thanks for coming on and we wish you the very best of luck for the future, pal. Thanks for having me on, fellas. Call it all West Ham fans. Are you a patron of the West Ham way? If not, why not? For the price of a point, you get top quality content on a daily basis to include the famous West Ham Way podcast with Dave and X, over 100 interviews with ex-players and celebrity fans, Mad Dog Bites with Martin Allen, a show with Tony Cotty, the U Irons podcast, the West Ham Way USA, a transfer window show with Demis Chef, an expert pre-match analysis. There are virtual events 
with ex-players, written articles, match day discussion, away day burger reviews, in-depth match reports, and if you want to be the first to get reliable, accurate, exclusive news on all club affairs, you'll get exactly that from the best ITK in the business, ex-West Ham United employee. All that and more delivered to your phone for a fiver a month. It's the daddy. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.